We live our lives carrying too much that costs us too much. This statement has been the theme of this entire series that we are in today. And if it's your first time to join us, or maybe first time to join us in this series, welcome. I am so glad you're here. We are in a collection of sermons that we are calling Too Expensive, where we are addressing those realities in our lives that, quite honestly, they cost us too much to carry, yet we carry them. In part one, we looked at the reality that is shame and how shame costs us way too much. And I have heard from so many people who attended in person or online or who have listened to the podcast and in all sorts of places, how much that sermon has helped them. And if you missed that or haven't listened to it, you need to go back and watch it. Go back and listen to it. Let the Spirit of God work through those words into your heart and life today. And I pray that it challenges you, changes you, and transforms you like only God's word can. And share that with a friend, man. What a great word to share with somebody. In part two, though, we talked about how silence is too expensive. How for us to not speak up and to speak out on those things that matter the most is too expensive. And today we are continuing along this idea of too expensive and what is too expensive with something that quite honestly permeates our reality on today in such a strong, profound, and significant way that I believe it is a must that we focus in on. This expense that I want to draw your attention to for a few moments today is really the most pervasive expense in our world today. And it is, as I will call it, sadness. There are some places and sectors of society that might refer to it as depression, and sure. But there are many of us, maybe even you, who find our present reality, one that we can only put on our emotion that we bring to whatever situation we're in. The only accurate word is, I'm just sad. In fact, there are more sad people and more people staying sad when they get sad than ever. In fact, sociologists will tell you that the younger you are, the more likely you are to battle depression. A study done in, at Boston University in 2021 actually found that nearly a third of all adults were categorized as depressed. That every single year, check this out, about 10% of all adults face a major depressive episode. They face an event that does something to them that leaves them wrecked with sadness, leaves them wrecked with depression for days, possibly even weeks, maybe even months after the fact. And that percentage is rising. There was a day when it was common to believe that tomorrow would be better than today. Some people woke up with that faith, that optimism, that belief that, you know what, it's going to be better tomorrow. We're going to get this, that, yeah, yesterday was hard, but tomorrow's going to be great. That is not the common mentality, the common refrain for most people today. In fact, sociologists, many have used 9-11 as almost like a marker in time that before 9-11, things were more idyllic. This was a pre the angst of social media. This was pre uh, uh, many people feeling like the threat of war or attack was, was this ever present reality. This was before it felt like every time I went to the store, everything was going to be more expensive than it was the last time I went to the store. And I don't know how to budget. I don't know how to prepare. I don't know how to do these things. And so we find ourselves 
said. In fact, it seems for more and more people every single day, sadness isn't a day of life. It's a way of life. The sadness isn't just how I felt that one day, how I felt on that morning, what, 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 what sat with me at that time. No, sadness is the way that I navigate, I, I, I walk through life. In fact, there are some of you under the sound of my voice right now, and please hear me. I feel you. I know that sad is the only way you can describe your reality. You live sad. It's more than just being a little pessimistic. It's more than just not feeling it today because there's no day that you really feel it. You live sad. You feel like your default was set somewhere along the way to something more depressed. In fact, to be honest, it annoys you to an extent to be around certain people because certain people seem to always be happy. They always seem to be successful. They always seem to be enjoying life and people enjoy them. And because of the reality, because of the way you see the world through the lens that is your eye, you feel nothing but sadness. And I'm here to tell you today, sadness is too expensive. Just like shame, just like silence, sadness is too expensive. And for those of you that feel depressed, sadness sits squarely on your shoulders. May I tell you today that sadness is too expensive, and here's why. Because it's trying to keep you from seeing God. Sadness will block your eyes from being able to see God working, God moving, God doing in your life. Do you interact with anyone who is always sad? I mean, I do. Like, even to say that statement, there are names and faces and people that I see weekly, people I see very regularly, who, who it's like, when I think of someone who's always sad, I think of them. And when I think of them, I recognize that life is difficult. Like, we live in a broken world. There's difficult news. There's bad things that happen to all of us every single day. But when I want to act with those folks who are like always sad, like nothing's ever good, at least in the way they communicate it, my heart hurts. Because I don't care how many sermons you hear, or how many conversations you have, and sources of the problem you pick. If you don't bring understanding to your sadness, your sadness will always be your problem. But you'll never call it your problem. You'll call it the ramification of the problem that you think. See, this perpetual state of sadness is too expensive because it costs you spiritually. And what it costs you, if you would write these down in your notes today, it costs you spiritually because when you're perpetually sad, hear me, we can't see God at work. When you or I find ourselves perpetually sad, what happens is we don't see God working all around us. We don't see God moving in our lives. We don't see God touching and changing and providing because all we see is the depression that we carry. All we see is the pain that's ever present before us. This perpetual state of sadness is too expensive because some of you sitting in your sadness right now you can't see God working, even though he's trying to work in your life right now. 
Even though he's trying to speak to you right now, you think he's speaking to somebody else because you don't think there's any way God could ever see you. We can't see God at work. And that's damaging to us spiritually. Why is a perpetual state of sadness too expensive spiritually? Because when we're perpetually sad, please understand, we don't believe God's for us. Oh, we hear the scriptures. We may sit in a service. You may be watching today. You may be watching every Sunday. And you hear the truth of God's word and you always think it's for somebody else. Because you don't believe there's any way God could be for you. You don't believe there's any way God could provide for you. Because you can't see God at work. You don't believe that he's for you. And that is a difficult place to live spiritually. The God that loves you and knows you and gave himself for you to believe that he's not concerned about you. Some of you don't realize it's not God, it's you and your sadness that leaves you sitting with this belief that God isn't for you. The third thing, why is a perpetual state of sadness too expensive spiritually? I'll tell you why. Because when we're perpetually sad, we won't trust God by faith. We won't. We won't trust God by faith. We won't believe that he loves. We won't believe that he cares. People that find themselves perpetually sad, they typically don't serve because <laughs> serving takes faith. They're not generous with their finances because generosity takes faith. They don't invite people into the church. They don't bring people to the house of God because they sad. And all those things take faith. Now, before you think I'm some type of person that's going to tell you, you just need to hold on to God and forget all the doctors and forget all the whatever, I ain't saying none of that. I believe there's a place for therapy. I believe there's a place for counseling. I believe sometimes people find themselves in a state, maybe for a season, uh, maybe even because of a condition for all of their life where medication is a, is a God-given grace to help us navigate what we go through. But I also do find it interesting that some of the saddest people I've ever met and known are the most heavily medicated, they're the most relationally isolated, and they're the most dependent upon outside realities to provide their happiness. And they're the least likely to diligently follow God because of their sadness. I trust God if I wasn't so sad. You know, I really would serve and smile if I just didn't feel so depressed. What do I have to offer? Your sadness is too expensive. Your sadness is costing you too much. And today, I want to sound the alarm that it's too expensive. But I can't tell you just to throw your sadness away because that's actually sometimes not possible. See, I want to turn your attention for a few moments today to a figure found in Scripture that maybe you're somewhat unfamiliar with. While he's known as a major prophet, he's a major prophet that we sort of dismiss a lot of his life from an understanding perspective because it's not as nice as we would like. He's a prophet, Jeremiah. And he was a prophet who lived his life, did his work in his ministry for God to its fullest, 
while finding himself in this perpetual state where he was sad. See, Jeremiah, as a human, wrestled with loneliness, wrestled with feelings of defeat and insecurity. He's known sort of the stamp put on his life and ministry is he's the prophet who was the weeping prophet. How would you like that to be known as who you were? There's the prophet who's the mighty man of God. Listen to him speak. There's the prophet. Signs and wonders come with him. Here's this guy that cries all the time. That was Jeremiah. Jeremiah understood what it was to live sad. He suffered from constant rejection by the people that he loved and that God had called him to reach out to. God had called him to preach. But for him specifically, God had forbid him from marrying and from having children. He lived alone. He ministered alone. He was poor and ridiculed and rejected by his people. He saw the downfall of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and his people led into exile all while he watched and wept. In the midst of it, though, he displayed great spiritual faith and strength. And yet we see that he honestly wrestled with despair and depression, finding himself in this constant state of sadness, in this great sense of failure. See, how do you know this, Michael? Well, the scripture tells us this. But the scriptures that will bear this out don't really fit into that algorithmic, give me a verse today that's going to encourage me sort of formula. In fact, the verses I want to share with you as we begin today, you probably haven't ever read before. You certainly probably ain't ever heard nobody preach before. Check that off your little Christian bingo card. But even more, these are the kind of things that show us the humanity of this writer, the reality of how he saw himself in his life. Great man of God, weeping prophet. What do you mean by weeping prophet? I mean someone who saw their existence like this. Listen to the words of Jeremiah from Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 14. He said, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be thrown like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to seek trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? This is Jeremiah crying out to God. And he vents in, in full throttle, no limit, his full frustration to God. Do you understand what he said? He said, I wish I was dead. Those are the statements of a depressed person. I don't understand why I ever was even born. Those are the statements that come out of someone who finds themselves perpetually sad. 
I don't know why God didn't allow me to be conceived in my mother's womb, but also laid to rest in my mother's womb. Why did I ever have to see any of this? And I think many of us have had a thought like that. I think there are many of you listening to me right now that it's not just that there was one day you had a thought like that. But maybe like Jeremiah, this is the thought that's ever before you. God, why am I here? Someday I don't even want to live anymore. If that's you, I feel you. And I hurt with and for you. Because I know that that sadness that sits on you feels so weighty and so heavy. But the difference between you and Jeremiah is I think you probably have a tendency to clean up how you feel. Because if you really gave full vent to how you feel, you don't know how it would be received. See, people don't deal with their sadness. You can write this in your notes. Because they're afraid of how their sadness sounds. There are many people who do not deal with their sadness because they are so nervous about how the sadness that they feel, the sadness that they carry, sound. Too many people put a lid on their emotional reality trying to present themselves as something others want them to be. How do I know? Well, I've lived a few years. And because I've lived all them years in the South, I have had an incalculable number of interactions centered around this one Southern grace of a question that we all ask one another and we all expect a certain response to. People will ask you, people you know and don't know, how you doing? Come on, how you doing? You doing all right? How you doing? And there are three or four responses that we are sort of allowed to give to that question. Now, that question has real implication and meaning. How are you doing? In other words, how am I feeling? How is life going for you at this moment? There are millions of answers to that question. We only allow three or four. I'm great. Everything's good. Wonderful. Man, if I was doing any better, I'd need another one of me to carry all the goodness that I got in my life. That's what we're allowed to say. How do I know? Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an authentic person, and, and sometimes I, uh, to, to, to a fault. And sometimes when I haven't been doing good, I found myself replying to a question from people. How you doing? With the word decent. Which is a nice way of saying, I ain't doing that good, but I mean, I'm alive. <laughs> How you doing? Decent? Can I tell you, people have like stopped, like they weren't ready for decent. Because <laughs> they expected, How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> like, like, I don't even know why we asked the question, because we already know the response that we're expecting to take. How you doing? We wouldn't know what to do if people answered us how they really were. How you doing? Man, I'm hurting. How you doing? Man, I feel so unseen. How you doing? <laughs> I feel like a failure. That's how I'm doing. How you doing? 
I, uh, I wish I wasn't alive. That's how I'm doing. I'm exhausted from never feeling like enough. That's how I'm doing. Could you imagine? What, what would you do if someone said that to you? What would someone else do if you, that's how you felt and that's what you gave to them? But part of what helped Jeremiah function while he was sad is that he didn't always hide how it sounds. Now, I'm sure sometimes he did. I'm sure sometimes Jeremiah was at the supermarket and somebody asked Jeremiah, how you doing? He's like, I'm all right. Because he wasn't trying to vomit his reality on every person. But he uh, found a place in a way where he didn't have to put on appearances and he could say who he was and say how he was. Could it be that your need for appearances with everyone is keeping you sad? Because you never really say what's going on. You don't have a friend. You don't have a, a counselor that you can actually talk to. You don't have a family member. You ain't even got a little journal you can write in. You can't, you can't be real and honest with your spouse because your spouse expects you to just to be happy because if, if they were sad, then you'd be sad, and I'll be sad. And you have nobody in your life. Could it be that the fact that you were never able to say how it really is, you're never able to communicate how it really is, that the reason you can't deal with your sadness, the reason you can't come face to face with your sadness and move forward in Jesus' name is because you're afraid of how your sadness Sounds. Because it sounds too bleak and it sounds too painful and it sounds too disturbing. And I don't know what people would do if I told them the truth. See, people don't deal with their sadness because they're afraid of how it sounds. But also, please write this down. People don't deal with their sadness because they're ashamed of how their sadness looks. They're ashamed on how it looks. That's what Jeremiah said. Je Jeremiah offers at the end of what we read in verse 18 there, this thought of, of being ashamed of his work, being ashamed of his life's meaning, being ashamed of his effectiveness as a prophet. See, Jeremiah would rather not face what he has to face. He'd rather not live than have to confront the reality again that God called me to do this, but nobody listens to me. God sent me to share this message, but nobody is changing. Nobody is listening. Nothing is happening. You see that? He feels shame because of his life's work. I wonder if he's tempted with the thought that maybe if he was a better prophet, if he was a better communicator, he was a better leader, that, that maybe somehow then people would listen. Maybe he looked at some of his contemporaries like Daniel and Ezekiel and said, man, if I just, if I had the influence that Daniel had, I could probably be better at this. Because here's Daniel, and every time there's a new emperor, they love Daniel. And Daniel be so handsome. And look at Ezekiel. He always walking out there and he's having these visions and people are like, oh, the bones are going to live. Like Ezekiel, he sees all this stuff. And I just cry. 
God, maybe if I was better or different. People don't deal with their sadness because they're ashamed of how their sadness looks. Comparison will keep you sad. If you're a mom and you spend your your, 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 your free time scrolling the interwebs, trying to figure out how you stack up to other moms, it will keep you sad. If you're a business owner and you constantly compare your business, somebody else's business, you're on your website, but you go to their website and see what they're doing, it will keep you sad. Come on, if you're a leader, if you're a manager, if you're a student and you spend all your time comparing yourself to somebody else, it will keep you in a perpetual state of sadness because there's always a mom better momming than you. There's always a dad better dadding than you. There's always a business owner owning better than you. There's a leader leading better than you. Come on, there's a neighborhood watch person, neighborhood watch better than you. There's a student who's making better grades than you. There always is. And if you live your life comparing yourself to others, you will find yourself constantly sad and ashamed for how what you bring to the table looks. Nevertheless, it's a thought that we battle. Maybe you have battled. Do you ever battle the thought that if I was just a little better, everything would be better? If I was a little smarter? Come on, if I was a little bit better provider? If I looked a little better? Come on, if I just, if I could articulate my thoughts a little clearer? If I was just a little, if I was funnier? And some of us find ourselves heaping sadness on sadness. Stacking depression on depression because we're ashamed of how our sadness looks. And we think that somehow if we were different or we think somehow if we could just structure ourselves and become more faithful and more sound and do better. And if I could just show up better, then all this would be fixed. Please hear me and understand the truth of this. That your faithfulness does not free you from your feelings. Your faithfulness does not free you from your feelings. How do you know this, Michael? I'll tell you how. Jeremiah was deeply faithful to God, to God's purposes for his life, and he was incredibly sad too. There is no place in Scripture, read about Jeremiah, read about in antiquities about Jeremiah and his ministry and all that he did. And you want to find one place where Jeremiah was unfaithful to God, where Jeremiah did not do what God had set him to do. Yet you will also find Jeremiah lived his entire life sad. Why? Because faithfulness does not free you from your feelings. It is not that if you were more faithful as a follower of Jesus, then you would be free from this sadness. That is a lie from the enemy that has been propagated from a pulpit. It's not that if you got more faithful, then you wouldn't feel like that. Because Jeremiah's life bears testimony to the opposite of that. Jeremiah does what God has called him to do his whole life and finds ever before him this sadness on him. And if you don't believe it, just from reading his writings that bear his name, the 52 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, maybe you could take on the short book that is the book of Lamentations. Many scholars believe Jeremiah wrote all of Lamentations, this lament, this, this 
cry out to God because of the state and the reality of things going on. Some believe that there were many authors of Lamentations, but even those who believe that there were many attest to Jeremiah's authorship of chapter 3 and chapter 5. In, in Lamentations chapter 3, what we find is Jeremiah beginning by accusing God as he laments. He says stuff that honestly probably you wouldn't say. And that's why Jeremiah pushed forward in his sadness and you stay stuck. Jeremiah is complaining in agony to God. Literally saying, you should read it, that God is attacking him. Now God wasn't, but that's the way he felt. That God has blocked his prayer. That literally God has like set up a vapor barrier and Jeremiah's prayers ain't getting through this. That God is acting like a bear, hiding behind a tree, waiting for him to come by so he can pounce on him and attack him. That God has made him a laughingstock to all others. And he's filled his life with bitterness. So miss me with your sanitized suppositions about the men and women that God uses. Jeremiah was pouring his heart out, a heart deeply broken, a, a, a heart that, that was filled with angst because of the reality of his life. And listen to what he says in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, starting in verse 17. He says, my soul has been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what happiness even is. Then I thought, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison? I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is the only space in the book of Lamentations where we see hope rising. This is one of the few places in all the writing, even though there are 52 chapters in Jeremiah, five chapters in Lamentations. All of these words, all of this are one of the few places that we see hope spring up. Listen to what he says. I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. See, some of you today, maybe even these moments, watching at church online, watching this on YouTube, listening to the podcast, some of you today, you, 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 you resonate with Jeremiah. You're like, I ain't found too many Bible characters that I think understand the reality of my life. But this guy, I mean, this guy seems like he feels like I feel because you find yourself with this weight of sadness, depression abounding all around you. If you see yourself like him today, may I implore you, if you feel like Jeremiah, then respond like Jeremiah. If you feel like Jeremiah, sadness all around you, depression sitting on you, then respond like Jeremiah did. You see, most people I've ever met who are sad like him, live depressed like him, aren't like him. This is how Jeremiah felt. He does not try to cover it up or clean it up. 
He does not try to sanitize it for your consumption. He lets you know, this is the word that I'm saying to God. God, I don't understand. God, depression sits on me. God, it feels like you're attacking me. It feels like you stopped my prayer. How are you hiding behind every corner trying to make my life terrible? That is what comes out of him. It sounds like somebody who's deeply broken, incredibly sad, who feels like they never catch a break. These couple verses are the only hope in the whole book. But it's all Jeremiah needs. Because even though he feels this way, he has a response that meets his feelings. And he focuses on God's love and God's faithfulness and God's mercy. And he declares that God is enough. Can I tell you today, friend, please catch this, particularly those of you who would say, you know what, I am carrying sadness today and my eyes are beginning to open that it is too expensive. My depression is costing me too much. Please hear me. What you focus on when you're down has the power to keep you down or lift you up. Here's Jeremiah writing out lamentations, this, this, this list of all of these depressive realities that are his life, this feeling that God has abandoned him and God has turned his back and he finds himself depressed because of everything going on and the temple is destroyed and the city is destroyed and the people are in exile and God, nobody listens to me. And while that is reality, that was not his focus. Yet I put my hope, I call this to my mind. So I have hope. I remember that God is faithful. And so I have hope. I remember that his mercies are new every morning. Therefore, I have hope. See, the reason your sadness is stopping you is because you're focused on your sadness. That's why you diligently and daily getting God's word on the inside of you matters. Because if you get God's word on the inside of you, listen, you may have nothing but depressive realities everywhere you look. At work, at school, at home, in your friendships, with everything going on in your life. Yet you can call this to mind. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. Your goodness and your mercy follow me every day of my life. You can call these things to mind. Surely he is with me always, even to the end of the age. He promised me that. I'm the head and not the tail. You can call these things to mind. Even when your reality wants to offer you a different story. That's why gathering with God's people, whether it's to serve, whether it's in a worship service, whether it's at church online, come on, whether it's in a smoke, whatever it may be, gathering with God's people lifts your spirit because you see them worshiping. You see them responding. And sometimes you know what they're going through and their mere presence can lift you. Can I tell you, that's why worship is such a powerful thing. That's why we take time, even at church online, before we hear God's word, to worship together. That's why in every worship service on Sundays, we take time to sing and declare the goodness of God. Because you need that reality to combat everything you see trying to pull you down. 
And there are some people who don't worship because they don't feel like it. Maybe we don't worship based on what we feel. We worship based on what we know is true. Some people walk themselves out of worship because they say, well, I'm not demonstrative and I'm not expressive and I don't know how to sing. Can I tell you what you need is the truth about who God is. What you need is to call to your mind again that God is for you. He is faithful and he loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. See, that's why it breaks my heart. It makes me so mad when, when people feel like they can't be in God's house. They can't come to church because of all the, all the ish in their life. When did a church service become a pageant for the perfect? It's supposed to be a hospital for hurting people. And if you're hurting, there's hope here. If you're depressed, there's good news here. If you're sad, there's strength here, that this is the house you need to be in. Why? Because not because you get a little hope on the inside of you and everything's going to change. But because you get a little hope on the inside of you and you're not going to stop. See, hope won't end your sadness, but it will make sure your sadness doesn't stop you. Hope doesn't end your sadness. A little bit of hope in your life is not the thing that's going to make it to where now you're no longer sad, now you're no longer struggling, you're no longer depressed. That's not what hope does. Hope won't end your sadness, but it will make sure that your sadness doesn't stop you. See, some people have made hope out to be something that it was never intended to be. I'm not telling you that hope is going to fix everything going on in your life. But it will keep sadness from stopping you. Too many have peddled hope as this elixir that somehow should handle all of your problems. And it won't, at least not on this side. See, the scriptures teach us that we yearn for this day. Our souls cry out for what is on the other side. Could it be that the sadness that is stopping you is stopping you because you want fixed now what will be fixed later? See, you need to have hope today, those of you who are depressed, those of you who carry sadness, those of us who will carry sadness in the not too distant future. You need to carry this hope today that one day every wrong will be right. And it may not be on this side of eternity. That one day there will be no more death and there will be no more sadness. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. That one day, Revelation tells me, he will wipe every tear from every hurting eye. That day, the New Testament writers, the early church called our blessed hope. They had hope that God was going to fix all this, even though all this made them sad. They had hope that God would handle all this, even though all this weighed heavy on them because the one who gave himself for you promised to make it happen. But on this side, we may find ourselves with sadness. See, sadness is too expensive because it's stopping you from seeing God in your life. 
Some of you, the depression that you feel, the sadness that sits on your shoulders has led you to believe that God doesn't love you, has led you to think that God is not for you, has caused you to determine that God must not be concerned about your life. Baby, that's a lie from the enemy. Because Jeremiah lived his whole life following the purposes of God, filled with sadness. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 5, the very last words that the writers give us there, Jeremiah pins this unique contrast that I want to leave us with today. He says this, starting in verse 19, You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. He's giving God praise. But listen, why have you forgotten us forever? Abandoned us for our entire lives? Those statements don't normally go together. God, you're enthroned forever. Why have you abandoned us? Lord, restore us to yourself so that we may return. Renew our days as in former times, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. Jeremiah does not end his lament neatly and happily and contritely like many of us expect all things spiritual to end. He ends it still in the same state that he ministered in his whole life. God, you are enthroned forever. But God, it feels like you've forgotten me my whole life. And maybe some of you, maybe that's the place you find yourself today. If you be honest for just a second, you say, you know what, I, uh, I do hurt. I do feel depressed. I don't often vent it because people have told me I just sound so morbid, so I don't know where to carry it, so I bottle it up. And, but in bottling up, it's led me to think that God somehow is angry at me, and God is frustrated with me. And, and I, I honestly believe if I could just catch a break, then maybe that would be God being for me. No. God's for you. Call this to mind like Jeremiah did. He is faithful in all seasons, in all generations. He is good. And he is kind. And let the response that comes out of you be the same response he ended lamentations with. God, I trust you. And God, I'm still confused. God, I need your help. And if you're battling depression today, if sadness sits on you, can I tell you from a spiritual perspective, this is your prayer today. Can I pray this for you? Would you receive this sitting in your car? Come on, on vacation, sitting at that, wherever you find yourself. Would you just say, God, I trust you. God, I don't understand why my life is difficult. I don't understand why people have turned their back on me. God, I don't understand why I feel so alone. God, I don't understand why I go through all this, but God, I trust you. And God, I'm still confused. I trust you because you're good and you're faithful and you are holy and you are just. But God, I'm still confused. I'm confused about what my life is. I'm confused at why I'm even here. So God, I need your help. God, I need your strength today to not let my sadness stop me, but to continue to trust you, but continue to walk in your ways, continue to lean on you and not on my own understanding. 
God, I give this all to you. God, and I ask for your strength and your help today to not let my sadness stop me from seeing your goodness, your purpose, your concern for my life. God, I love you. I pray all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Everybody said.